Welcome to Uncaged. Uncaged. A show celebrating thought leadership from today's top business leaders. The program provides a voice to amazing executives from around the globe who are shaping the world of business today and mapping the path to the world of commerce tomorrow. And now, please welcome our host, Bant Breen, as we begin another Uncaged episode. Today, we've got Jessica Griego on the show. Hey, Jessica, how are you? Hi, thanks for having me, Brant. I'm happy to be here. It's great to speak to you, Jessica. And we're going to be talking, obviously, about one of my favorite topics, which is company culture. Uh, Jessica Kriegel is the Chief People and Culture Officer at Experience.com and has actually played a big role in driving culture in a variety of business verticals. And so we'll talk to her about all the things that she's been working on and some of the learnings that she's published in, in several of her, her books. And so we'll, we'll, we'll get to all of that. Before we get there, tell us a little bit about your background and your career today, Jessica. Happy to. I um, started doing leadership development when I was living in Italy. And I, you know, I went there without a plan after college and was teaching English. And my very first client was someone who had a leadership development training firm. And I said, why don't you hire me? I'll do all your English speaking work and you can mentor me and teach me from there. And I just absolutely fell in love with, you know, the, the trials and tribulations of leaders in the corporate world and how to balance what's good for the organization and what's good for the people that they work for. And also understood that I was in over my skis in terms of knowledge and business acumen. So I went to school, I did an MBA and then later a doctoral program in educational leadership and management with a specialization in human resources development. And all the while I was working in a series of organizations in Silicon Valley in the talent management space. So my first job after my MBA was in talent management at Taleo. It was later acquired by Oracle. And I had, you know, around 12 happy years with Oracle doing organizational development, working with some of the most senior executives there on organizational development, culture transformation. How do we manage our talent and, and, and do best for the organization? And then just recently in April, I joined Experience.com is the chief people and culture officer, and I'm just absolutely loving it there. Yeah, so Experience.com seems like it's right up uh, your alley, I, I think. Tell me a little bit more about what you guys are up to there. Yeah, I mean, this product is amazing. It's what sold me on, on leaving Oracle because they've got a customer experience and an employee experience side of it. And you, both are about elevating the voice of the customer, the voice of the employee. On the voice of the employee side, that's my passion, that's my focus and has been for my entire career. What they're doing that's different is, you know, most organizations are out there doing employee engagement surveys. They'll do a pulse survey maybe once every six months if you're lucky. And they're getting a point in time of feedback from employees on a range of issues. What experience.com is doing is we're getting real-time feedback at every moment in the employee's experience. So we've mapped the journey of an employee with our clients, and, and then we ask questions of the employee. So on their first day, we send them a message that asks, did you get your laptop? Have you met with your manager? What's your first impression? And, and that happens for every onboarded employee on every one of their first days. So over time, we can see how our onboarding process is improving or not and make real-time decisions based on actual data instead of waiting till the end of the year to see how everyone 
felt about the way the year went. So it's it's using real data to transform culture, which is what my passion has been. That's great. And I, I feel like the backdrop of culture has been uh, topical uh, for every company in the world this last year. Um, tell me a little bit about some of the trends that you guys are seeing uh, in the space uh, in, in terms of how companies are thinking about it, embracing it, I hope. Uh, I know that in our particular case, culture became something that was quite a critical rallying cry for us to, to make sure that we were getting right in this whole remote construct. Yeah, I saw organizations go in one of two directions during COVID. Either they realized suddenly that they needed to pay attention to COVID because of how difficult and trying the times were, or they felt like there was nothing that they could do to develop culture because they were remote. And that is a critical error that I think a lot of leaders, they often think of culture as being housed within the four walls of the headquarters or the office that you operate in. And, and culture has nothing to do with where you are. It's not about water cooler talk. It's not about FaceTime. It's about the environment that we're creating that enables an employee to do their work. It's what influences behavior in employees other than the employee themselves. I, I believe that culture fit is a complete fabrication. It's actually something driven by unconscious bias. You don't want to hire for people who are like you. You don't want to look for people who will fit the culture because most people can't even define their culture. And really what they're looking for is someone that they like. And that's problematic in hiring, as I'm sure you know. So really what we're trying to do is create data-driven culture, culture that is inspired and influenced from real data, real metrics, creating a systemic view of culture that can obviously happen in a virtual environment and, and really doesn't have anything to do with whether your people are in person or not. I love that idea. I, I, I think that uh, one of the things that I always try to challenge is that simple problem of always people always wanting to try to hire like themselves, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously that can lead to a ton of, of problems and challenges. And and so it, it always feels like, um, you know, many organizations seem to constantly trying to level set back to <laughs> to, to, to maybe a, a broader spectrum and, uh, you know, different way of kind of structuring that the, the culture. Um, but I think one of the big things that I've learned is that as a founder of a company that you, know, you think that you as a founder kind of play a big role in driving the culture, which perhaps you do to a certain extent. But the reality is that it also is very much driven by by the teams, right? And and it it it's kind of like one of these things that people just have to be very aware of the fact that it evolves constantly. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Culture is a pass down process, but it's something that is owned at every level of leadership and even amongst non leaders, right? We can influence without authority within an organization culture and a very strong direction, either towards the positive or towards the negative. So yeah, I think the idea that CEOs set the tone for culture may be true to a small extent, but I mean, I can tell you, I worked at Oracle for a long time and our, our leader, as everyone knows, Larry Ellison had a particular style and that style drove many of the larger decisions that existed at Oracle. But I also operated within a team that had its own culture that was entirely driven by the leader that I had at Oracle. And another team in Oracle that was, at, you know, in a different organization that may have had a completely different culture. And so really the truth is there's thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of subcultures. 
And so every leader has a responsibility to create a unique subculture that works for their organization, but at the same time, ensuring that it aligns with the organization's strategy. So when I do work with organizations around culture transformation, the first thing I do is ask to see the corporate strategy. What's our organizational strategy? And then how has that strategy cascaded into the organization? McKinsey did some research around this and found that less than 5% of employees understand their organization's strategy, and that's problematic. So we have to not only make sure that everyone is aware of the strategy, but that they understand it. And then every sub department has a strategy that is of their own. What is their piece of the puzzle and how does it feed into the larger corporate strategy? And then we can really start to create culture because we're trying to create one that aligns with strategy rather than something that makes people feel good theoretically based on what that manager thinks might make people feel good, which is always conjecture and subjective. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously there's been uh, lovely kind of stresses and tensions between the different generations at times when it comes to topics of personality and culture. I mean, how do you wrestle with that one? It's a great question. It's what my first book was about, unfairly labeled how your workplace can benefit from ditching generational stereotypes. I think that most leaders are perceiving differences where really there aren't any. And what we're doing is stereotyping each other. It's like age discrimination hiding in a generational label. So the thesis of my first book and my first keynote, which was around generational differences, was let's stop talking about that, everybody. You know, we don't need to understand what millennials want. We don't need to understand what baby boomers want, because ultimately what you want to know is what does what do your employees want and creating something that's customized to them, which is why I loved experience.com and the whole concept of real time feedback, the elevating the voice of the employee. It's it's not about, oh, we have a bunch of millennials, so they must want blank. It's about this is the real feedback live from our employees on how these processes are working right now. Now we can make some real decisions that are going to make an impact. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. I actually do think that it's a terrible simplification that we see sometimes when people bifurcate generations like that. Um, it, yeah, and I bet, yeah. if you, sorry to interrupt you, but I mean, a classic example that I give often in my keynotes is if I were to say instead of. There are four generations in the workforce, you know, the millennials and the Gen Xers and the baby boomers. If I were instead to say, let's talk about all the different races in the workforce, there's the blacks and the whites and the Hispanics. Tell me, what talent strategy do you have for black people? I mean, it's obvious how inappropriate that is. It, it immediately it, red flags are raised. But when we do it about millennials, we don't even notice that that might be stereotyping, you know? And so the problem is that we're so accepting of these stereotypes and, and that's what needs to change. Yeah, I, I also think that it's it's a little bit of maybe jealousy at times of younger generations, uh, strangely enough. I, I, I've i noticed uh, some of, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Gen Xer and, uh, you know, I sometimes talk to other Gen Xers and I find that, uh, they seem to be like, oh, well, these younger generations, they say this or they do that. And, and I look at them and I say, but don't you want to say this or that? You know, I think one of the classic ones is uh, that, you know, there was a joke online, I think, of uh, there's a young woman that goes for a job interview and the, 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 the boss looks at her and says, so um, we start at 8 a.m. every morning. And she responds, oh, well. That's not going to work. I do my best work at 11 o'clock. <laughs> and, and I thought, I, I mean, uh, you know, uh, there's the kind of the hard ass kind of 
Gen X way of looking at that going like, gosh, she's got to come in early. But the reality is that totally makes sense. It's totally true. We all do have best of parts of the day, where, which actually probably should be leveraged and, and we shouldn't be thinking about a punch clock mentality, right? So it's, yeah. uh, it, I think it's a, a lot that we can all uh, learn from one another across generations. But I mean, well, I completely agree. And, you know, just a little tidbit of information for you. In two, 2,500 years ago, Socrates said something along the lines of, oh, these younger generations, they talk too much and they're quite indecent. And I mean, it's it, almost as if it was the exact same complaints we still have. So there's something in us from a human nature perspective that makes that jealousy or that, you know, the loss of youth make us turn on each other, I think. I hear you. So let's change gears a little bit and talk about um, really, I think, what you do and culture and and what's happened in society and business over the last year. I mean, the pandemic has been quite an interesting moment for the topic of culture as companies have really wrestled with perhaps kind of non-inclusive cultures, um, some of the big issues that perhaps they were um, really kind of pulling a blind eye to. And, and so just be curious to kind of see some of the things that you've come across and some of your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's been an awakening of, of sorts. You know, some of the feedback that my friends over at I4CP received when they were doing some culture work was around the that the COVID actually did wonders for cul the culture of the organizations that they had surveyed. And I believe that that's because when we collectively dealt with this hysteria around the pandemic, when we finally came face to face with the systemic injustice in our society as it pertains to race, when all of this kind of created a, a series of tensions and, and massive dynamic changes in the way that we live and our economy, people became introspective and they started thinking about what really matters, what's important to me, what do I want from life, what do I value, how do I you know, how does how do my values align with the values of the organization that I work with? And so that created a shift for many organizations about the direction of the organization, not just in what their offerings were, but how they operated. And it also, I'm sure you've heard about the great resignation. I mean, right now people are making life changes. And I think it's because we were all forced into a slowdown moment, which was tragic. It was it was horrible. And it also, you know, there will be some silver lining that comes from it for some people. And I mean, certainly I had a, a moment of reflection on what I wanted out of life and what kind of values I I wanted to put at the forefront of my career decisions and my family decisions. And so I, I think there was some good in that for, for people in the world. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I also would say that it definitely got companies thinking about the area that, that you really focus on a lot more. So I think that uh, what I what I feel is that the, the, the topics that we're wrestling with right now on this call are, are, are really central to the embodiment of this new type of company that has to exist. It has to, culture is so much more important than, than it was 10, 20 years ago in terms of, you know, how the C-suite considers it right it's yeah. really like a central conversation and i i really i think it's uh it's certainly one of the things that as we went more and more virtual as a company 
um, I, I shifted our budgets from real estate to culture. And, yeah. and I, I, I'm sure that we're not alone in that regard. So, yeah, so, so I think the key there is in how you invest in culture, right? I mean, the leaders that struggle with transforming culture are the leaders that think that culture is about feelings. Culture is not about feelings. It's not about some airy-fairy, touchy-feely ideological concept that if you give them a bunch of attaboys and happy hours and somehow that's going to make everyone want to stay with your company and work harder and be more productive. You know, I, I believe that culture truly is about aligning the organization. It's system. not just it's not just a coffee mug. No, it's not a coffee mug. It's not <laughs> a bag, believe it or not. <laughs> um, I, I think it's about aligning the systems with your strategy and being thoughtful about how that gets done and listening to your employees who are the ones who have the most information about how enabled they are in their work and engaged they are in their work. And, and also thinking differently about employee engagement. I mean, one of my more popular keynotes right now is the one that says why employee fulfillment is the next employee engagement. Employee engagement is got popular in the 90s. You know, it's this idea of how much productivity can we get out of our employees, right? Engage to engage that verb means to gather someone's attention. It's like, how much of your attention can we trap into work, right? Now, I think we need to abandon employee engagement and think about employee fulfillment. Do you feel whole as a person, right? Does the person who's a mother and the person who's a dance, dances as a hobby and the person who's got volunteer work that you're interested in and who also has this job as the VP of technology. Do you feel fulfilled and, and can you find that wholeness in the work that you're doing? So that's what we got to figure out. Yeah. I, I, but the, 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 I have a question about that because I, I sometimes wrestle with this a little bit where um, there certainly is this push to be more holistic, to offer kind of more fulfillment. However, um, you know, certainly a lot of those elements are out of the remit of the workplace, right? So in the sense that I can't, you know, right, you know, for full, for true fulfillment for someone, it's not just going to come from their job. Um, I, I hope not, right? So, so I, I think that, you know, what, what it really means is being aware of the fact that people have to have a holistic lifestyle and giving them that flexibility. Um, uh, that's the only, because I, I, what, what, what I also cringe at is when companies try to be involved in every aspect of people's lives, you know, I call it kind of like the, the, you know, the Googleplex mentality where you literally wake up and you're on the campus and you're, you're, you're there at 11 PM every night and you have your volleyball team and your massage and you're, you know, and it becomes everything. And that seems that's holistic, but I think it's also not, not fulfilling. <laughs> yeah, well, I actually agree with you entirely. I mean, I applied for a job with Google when I finished my MBA and I was totally enamored with the perks. Bring your dog to work, the free Wi-Fi on the bus will pick you up at your house and bring you to work. And the volleyball on campus, the free food everywhere, the dry cleaning on site. I started talking to some of my friends who had a job there and I said, but how could you possibly be unhappy here? And they said, you know, thank goodness I can bring my dog to work because if I didn't, my dog would be dead because I'm at work 15 hours a day. You know, I mean, that's why we're allowed to bring our dog to work is because yeah. we live and breathe here. 
that's not what I'm talking about. It, it's yeah. not about we need to sign our, our people up for dance classes. It's about we need to listen to them. We need to understand what's important to them, what they're struggling with, and then support them as people in their lives and, and change what we can within the system to enable them to, to, be, to fulfill themselves however that is. Not that we need to get in their business and know about it. You know, yeah. I'm the anti-happy hour person. I'm not the person who says, well, fix your culture problem as long as you bring a you know, massage therapist on campus and set up a nap room in the corner. I mean, that's the opposite of what I think. And frankly, I think a lot of that, you know, 25 years ago when Google started talking about how many perks they had on campus, that was a marketing campaign because yeah. they're a B2C company. And all the B2C companies followed suit with all of these ping pong tables and things like that. If you notice, oh, I, I think it's just looking at Disney and 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 learning how to apply the Disneyland solution to the workplace. Basically, you know, you keep people people so so connected that they never leave work, and uh, it, it essentially became for many folks, I'd say, just the extension of their college experience into into a workplace. You know, for talented individuals. But I mean, I love this this holistic idea that you're 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 mentioning. And as you look forward over the next couple of years, what are your hopes for for the space and how do you think things are going to evolve? Um, my hopes, and I, I don't need to hope too hard because I can already see it happening, is that the most senior executives are going to be taking culture much more seriously and understanding how critical it is to the business. I mean, it's no longer about the HR perks and the poster boards with recognition post-it notes for each other. You know, this is about, have we created an environment that will allow our employees to execute on their strategy? And there are eight culture drivers. I've developed a model called the culture equation. And the culture equation is a model in which we look at these eight culture drivers, the eight things that we can measure that we will look at and say, do these align with your strategy or not? And I'm culture agnostic. So when I work with organizations or when I'm giving my keynote, I 100% have no opinion about the best culture. So I'm not here saying this is the kind of culture you should all strive for. I have the system to identify what culture will help you achieve results on your strategy and then align your organization to that strategy with your culture. And it's by using these eight culture drivers. It's so measurable. It's so data-driven. It aligns so perfectly with what experience.com is doing with the voice of the employee getting real-time live data on what's working and what's not working so that we can course correct more quickly than any of the competition and ultimately drive results. I mean, there's a massive ROI in that. And I think that I, every time I speak with leaders, they think, wow, this is really critical. And we're not talking about ping pong tables or 4 p.m., kegs at the at the office you know yeah i i hear you i i also love this idea of what you guys are working on at experience.com which is making this whole thing measurable and then ultimately ho hopefully driving that more holistic fulfilling uh broader experience which is really what's gonna gonna work Jessica, yeah. it's been great to talk to you today. Thank you so much for being on Uncaged. Uh, we've been speaking with Jessica Kriegel. Uh, Jessica is the Chief People and Culture Officer at Experience.com. If someone wanted to reach you, Jessica, where should they go? Um, they can go to my website, jessicakriegel.com. And I'll spell that for you if you'd like. Jessica is obvious. And then Kriegel is K-R-I-E-G-E-L. 
Awesome. Well, listen, Jessica, thank you so much. And uh, let's, let's hope that we all keep building better cultures every day. Cheers. Thank you.